Welcome to another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. We are your hosts, Jenny. Echo. And I'm Dylan. Is that good? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so on today's episode, we wanted to talk about an article, an interesting article that came across our way about Asian professionals and their participation in ERG groups. Um, or employee resource groups or affinity groups, and some of the reasons behind whether they feel supported, whether they feel included or not, and kind of support that with our own research that we've done, and also talk about our own experiences as Asian professionals in the workplace and why we think what what is driving some of the the, the reasons behind the lower scores that ERG or Asian Americans are, are experiencing in, in the workplace. Maybe I'll go ahead and introduce the article. Would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah, please. This was a, a survey that was done by AAPI data um, in, in 2023. And, and they surveyed a lot of different topics they they asked people about you know the workplace about their attitudes towards you know hate crimes and gun control but today we're going to focus on the the work component because you know that is the theme of our episode um, and so one of the things that they uncovered um, in in this survey was that Asian Americans um, Asian professionals are the the group that participates in ERG groups or affinity groups um, at the highest level compared to other um, racial groups. Um, that includes white, black, um, Latino, uh, Native Americans. And yet they also found that Asians were the group that felt least supported compared to other groups. And so that was an interesting dichotomy, you know, so they, they, they participate in ERG groups and yet they don't feel included. And so I just wanted to kind of get your take on that and maybe unpack the article from from that. So what, what's your reaction to this? I mean, does this make sense to you? Is it surprising? But also I found it's not something that I find myself surprised about. I think one of the key things that I have noticed, a lot of companies these days have diversity goals for their leadership roles. And we all know like who are the target group for all those like leadership roles when it comes to promotion, when it comes to consider about leadership development. So the reality there is, even though, I mean, as far as I, we read from this article, like Asians are participative in those ERG groups, but they eventually don't see there's an end to it, meaning like they're still not being promoted, they're not being considered for leadership. That can definitely like contribute to that feeling of they're not being supported. And the second thing I think, usually when you when people join those CRG groups, you wanted to discuss the issues that you're facing as a group that share some similar attributes with you. So in this case, like they might share some frustrations, like how you uh, Asians uh, experienced at the workplace. But it's interesting. Um, at least like I'm 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 seeing like from this article, it doesn't seem like the ERG groups has been given the resource or the space for Asians to be discussing that. I think that's another thing that might attribute to that. But you, Doug, 
Um, thank you for introducing this article, uh, Jenny. Um, as I was reading this, I, you know, I thought like, well, I was wondering like, you know, do they really dive like the, do these ERG groups like do a deep dive on the, the history of the discrimination that Asian and Asian Americans face in the U.S. and somehow have tied that to the current workplace? There's a bit in me that, that highly doubts that. Because I feel like sometimes these ERG groups uh, in organizations are kind of feel good, you know. Here's a bunch of diverse people that we have in in these groups, and and if we have these, we have a check mark that we can tick off that that supposedly would make employees happy. And there's a part of me that's that's frustrated that we we don't have those those harder conversations about how sometimes Asian and Asian Americans are utilized as the the uh, as a wedge between black and white folks historically and how sometimes we, we may have the, the skills and the competencies but not the promotions to go along that so uh you know similar to what echo said you know sometimes you know folks may not see uh, a means to an end with this now maybe nice to like see a bunch of folks come together for may uh, especially for aapi month or even like lunar new years but that shouldn't be the only thing that's that should be celebrated right there's a lot of other things that have been in the works and and, and whatnot and i think it definitely um should involve some of these hard discussions on like hey why do we see a lot of asian and asian americans in middle management and not them at the top what's going on and what can we do about it so I realized we didn't really define what ERG groups are. So maybe we should do that um, just for people who are not familiar with what they are. So ERG stands for Employee Resource Group or Affinity Groups. And usually it's a kind of like a safe space mm -hmm. professionally where people of that background um, or social identity can group together. So typically you have, let's see, women's leadership groups, right? Women's group, there's an ERG group for mm -hmm. um, African Americans, Asian Americans, API, you know, Latino, Latina. Um, what other ERG groups are there? LGBTQ plus? Working moms. Yeah. I, I've seen like in recent years, like the ERG groups has involved in its structure uh, within the organization itself, meaning I think in the past, it has always been like the employee taking the initiative, like self-formed or self-initiated uh, uh, groups. But in recent years, I've seen there are companies started to place uh, some bigger role in coordinating and governing those ERG groups, so, which is interesting because I thought uh, for some companies that has the de uh, designated uh, diversity teams in the central place, they started to work more and more with those ERG groups and giving them the resources they needed. And um, I'm also hearing some companies started to giving the ERG needs, like a monetary as like a salary uh, to help facilitate some of the effort that they put into those ERG groups. Uh, which I thought those are great things to do because um, in earlier days, I was involved in some of the ERG groups back in my old firms. And we were doing not 
insignificant work there. Like we need to like invite the speakers, we need to invite the panels, we need to organize the event, order food. So it's really like a, a whole series of the work that if you were signed up for the work there. So um, at the time I know the, the, the team was, or the group was struggling ways, like even like getting people on board with those tasks. Uh, and knowing like that was like a, one of the biggest like employee resource group that we are having. Um, I'm grateful to see like the company started to have that awareness and see how they can how they can play a role into creating those structure for the groups. And thank you, Jenny, for explaining the definition of ERG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're assuming that everybody knows these HR terms or, you know, the, these corporate speak. But I also wanted to kind of just illustrate um, what we were talking about with some of these statistics. And I, you and Doug got into the topic of expectations, and I really want to get into that. But before I do, I just wanted to share these numbers. So according to this survey, 16% um, of Asian American workers participate in an ERG group based on their racial or ethnic background, and which is twice the rate of the overall workers who participate in ERG groups. And it's higher than you know, white people who are at 6%, black professionals who are at 13%, and Hispanic Latino workers at 10%. And yet they're still not feeling supported. And you know, one of the reasons that came up, it's not like we can make causal statements, but one of the things that they also surveyed was um, people don't see themselves represented at the leadership level. They don't feel supported um, in the workplace to take on leadership roles. Another one was stereotypes. Or oh, I receive stereotypes about the work that I do. And I think that's where we can kind of bring in some of our own research and talk about like what that could look like. I also wanted to kind of touch on what Duck um, and Echo brought up, which is like expectations around who drives these ERG groups. So Doug, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, these ERG groups are not, they probably don't talk about, you know, the racism, the historical racism that a Asian Americans faced. But my question is, well, who is responsible for that? Because usually, as Echo said, it's the employees who join the group who are responsible for the content that they develop in those groups. And like you said, Echo, more and more organizations are providing more resources and a bit more directive towards ERG groups and what they want to see. But I think a lot of that burden does fall on the ERG group members. So should, is it up to us to, you know, us as Asian, Asian Americans who are participating in these ERG groups to you know, vocalize those things? Or is it up to the organization to, to say, hey, you know, these ERG groups need to talk about these historical disparities? Jenny, great point. Uh, this goes back to your point of it's an ERG, it's an employee-led resource group. And sometimes having these tough conversations uh, may be hard uh, for folks to do in the workplace, because not only does it take up their time, their energy, but their cognitive ability as well, too. And this is under the assumption that they actually know the history. 
sometimes a lot of us actually don't uh, are not taught this or do not learn about this unless we go out of our way to take uh, a class on uh, Asian history in the U.S. or just you know sought out the proper text uh, textbooks for that. So it is. It, I think it can be a really tough topic to broach in the workplace. And of course, I think with most ERGs. Uh, because they are employee-led, sometimes the funding isn't always there or that the time that it's given for them to actually go and do that is, of course, spotlighted when things are bad. So uh, such as, you know, when uh, the, the after the George Floyd uh, incident, but maybe a year or two later when organizations are out of the uh, spotlight of not doing enough, they slowly uh, chip at it or cut the budget or tell people you can't be doing this you know, uh, you have to do uh, other work and in, 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 uh, instead of it. So it's kind of it's kind of frustrating because I did see that uh, that uh, I had a um, DEI group that I led in 2021 that basically, uh, in a way, uh, kind of died out in 2023 because of um, budget cuts. Uh, and it's um, I don't know to, to answer your question. It's it. it, it in a way, it's it's kind of frustrating because we want, like, I would love for folks to talk about this and learn about this and have these hard conversations about all different groups that have gone and come to the U.S. to make it all work, to have an, a more holistic understanding of where we all come from and the challenges that we have. But we can't do that when the funding is kind of it ebbs and flow or that management says, hey, we have time for this now. Please focus on this. Uh, uh, for yourself and others. And then other times they'll say, well, we're under a pinch and you guys need to forget about this. They don't say it explicitly, of course, and get back to doing your work. And it's very frustrating to be in a situation like that. I would love to tie this back to the, the study that we did, which was on microaggressions that Asian and Asian American professionals experience. And, and one of the ones that, that come to mind is the, the, the microaggression about diligence. Right, the one um, where people expect Asians to mm. um, act in a certain way based on the stereotype that Asians are diligent, that they're intelligent, that they're mathy, right? And there's a sort of pigeonholed into what type of roles. Doug, you're the first author on this paper, so. So we found both that uh, Asians experience both general and stereotype-based microaggression. And men- uh, Jenny just mentioned that uh, Asians are, have this subscription of uh, diligence, right, and math competency. And on top of that, a uh, description of subservience as well, too. Uh, and the thing with this is, you know, while we can isolate and say, like, hey, these are the specific themes that happen to certain Asian people, it's actually all these things happening all at once. And because they are in a way sometimes limited to some of these role or limited to certain competencies that may actually limit their ability to take on uh, flex jobs or flex uh, roles right to uh, learn about new uh, competencies in other departments or in other jobs uh, on top of that network with other folks as well too so uh, just think of it just being denied that one job when you you know someone thought hey you're really good at math you should go do this instead of this other stuff or um you know you're really hard working so instead of going to a networking event you should just stay late and do this you know over a day over a week a month 
years and decades, people are going to lose out and they're going to, uh, you know, miss their opportunity to climb that next rung of the ladder to move on to maybe even a lateral job that's uh, that complements this or potentially allows them to move up even higher uh, because uh, sometimes those stereotypes or those sometimes those stereotypes can limit people's mobility and like Jenny says limits the ability for folks to move up if they don't uh, take a, a gain other skill sets all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back also being thought this concept that you should work hard and I'm thinking more of a longer term like a concept of not only like being ignited for like those like leadership roles but also this expectation set for Asian that you should work hard so it's already creating this high bar for people almost like hey if you are bonded to this like nine to five and you're not like working hard or to um, to get this that I meet, it's almost like there will be a consequence for Asians, but not for other groups. So I, I think that's also what worries me is this like a day-to-day -day interaction. Because what I think was the expectation like Asians should be like working hard creates such a barrier on the work-life balance for the Asian people. Yeah, because the bar is set high for, for Asian employees, but it's not it's not the same bar that they apply to everybody else. And I think we did find that in one of our interviews. I remember a social worker said that she she got double the caseload compared to her mm -hmm. colleagues. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, and that this was something that was, she consistently experienced. So that's just one example of how this might show up in the workplace. Yeah. And they know like Asians don't speak up. So you're not going to be complaining about it. You're not going to say no. They're <laughs> yeah. not going to say no. Well, I mean, even if they do. I mean, I think her boss was this particular uh, participant. I think her boss was Asian, mm -hmm. right? Because I think she had eight cases. Uh, they're supposed to have eight cases and two pending or something like that, right? I think she mentioned mm -hmm. she had 10 to 12 and then three to four pending. Good memory. And it, right? And it, uh, <laughs> and it adds up um, because these are expectations. Of, I think, and she mentioned, I think this was in the audio recording of like, we have to shut up and do it, you know? Oh. Uh, and it's it's very frustrating because, in a way, it's 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 that systemic racism that comes to play. And it's not only I think sometimes when we say racism, we think of just like white and black and white, or white and and, and Asian, or just the the dominant group uh, oppressing the minority group, right? But sometimes because it's a subsystemic, it could actually be that group that also learned it. So in this instance, I think it was uh, an Asian boss perpetuating some of these stereotypes and expecting them to work hard because that's who they are. And it's, it's actually very frustrating because it's really hard to fight uh, and to get out of. Yeah, internalized racism. It takes a village to, to raise a racist, right? It takes a village to raise discrimination and systemic racism. So it's not just non-Asians, you know, 
doing it. It's also Asians doing it to each other. That could be a whole nother episode. Yeah. And just, just, just because that even exists, right? That stereotype of Asians even exists, right? We become the minority that's like, wait, why can't you be like that minority? Right? We become that wedge that, 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 that uh, you know, other folks may utilize and say, hey, why, why can't you guys be like the Asians? They haven't been here for, uh, for that long. And of course, that's false. Uh, Asians have been in the U.S. for a long time. Some of them here five, six generations. And, you know, look how successful they are. And it's kind of frustrating to, to hear that because sometimes uh, the stereotypes that, that's out there of Asians now can consist of like, hey, they're doing fine. They don't need any extra help. And of course, we have another article that we, uh, if we have time for, we'll talk about how um, Asians in academia, Jenny, that's you know, down your road, uh, and how they don't get uh, the a similar uh, funding as, as uh, white-led uh, uh, NSF uh, grant writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's another whole different topic. Because um, if you actually look at the, if you break down the, the the statistics in terms of government-sponsored grants, Asians are one of the least funded groups, which is surprising. I mean, when I saw those statistics, I was surprised because I thought, you know, Asian-led studies or studies about Asian Americans or Asian, you know, Asians in healthcare research would be on par with whites because you know we would that's that's that you know white adjacency Mm. right the white privilege stereotype that people have and i think i was also under the impression that it would show up in in the amount of dollars that we got but it's actually the exact opposite and we're one of the most underfunded groups um, out of all the racial minorities and that was kind of surprising to see surprising slash not surprising i guess given the work that we've been doing say something real quick about it. So, so Jenny hinted at this. This is actually um, uh, an article from the New York Times by Kenneth Je- uh, Chang that came out in January 2003. So just for our audience who's listening and wanted to follow through, we'll, of course, provide the link uh, for all that. And we'll tie back in as necessary as we talk Thank about it. Go, go ahead, uh, Echo. Yeah, uh, I w- yeah, no, this is actually a nice added uh, reference. I was actually going to switch the, the topic a little bit um, and extend it that a little bit. Um, so we have been talking about like stereotypes, like what this might contribute to this impression that uh, Asians are not necessarily like supported in the workplace. What do you two think, what are the other reasons that might net to that impression or that feeling of Asians being not supported in the workplace? Well, I, I think it has to do with perceptions around competency because people see us as the minority group that has made it. Um, and there is a ton of research supporting this that we could probably link to and provide um, in the episode because there is this idea that, oh, Asians are, you know, they have high economic and professional and educational attainment. They obviously don't need help. And so we don't have to direct resources or time or energy talking about them in the workplace. And, you know, we all know based from our own experiences and based on the research that we've done, that this is not the case, that Asians are not white adjacent. We're not, you know, we're not white. Um, And there is still a lot of systemic discrimination, microaggressions that we have to experience and navigate. Um, And it's hard doing that on our own because I think sometimes we don't even talk about it ourselves 
you know, there, I think there are a lot of Asians who just don't want to admit that, you know, they are also people of color and that they also face discrimination. And so they try to get access to white privilege. And I think I, I have seen that and I have noticed that. Um, and that to me is a bit frustrating when you see other Asian professionals who are just mm -hmm. in denial about this and don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I, I want to hear like, Doug. Yeah, Doug, please go ahead. I was going to say, or they piggybacking off what Jenny said, they could be lacking that awareness too. Because I, I sometimes I feel like they may just not know what they don't know. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm gonna use this, you know, our research as a, a mirror for myself, I would say like, you know, the younger Doug in his 20s would probably say like, yeah, there's, there's probably some racism out there, but it doesn't affect me and I don't really care because it doesn't affect me. For me, like the, 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 the breaking point became like, I realized that it may not affect me, but the others who come after me, my nieces, my nephews, my family, it'll still affect them. It'll affect the people that, um, that'll um, come after us as, uh, as well too. And it's very frustrating to understand the power of systemic racism versus I'm gonna be fine you know, forget everybody else. You know, I think for me, that mentality kind of shift when I realize, yeah, I may be fine, but the ones that are close to me in my community, my family, my community, they may not be. And I need to say something, I need to speak up. And I think we're all at different places. Like some of us are uh, oblivious to it. Some of us are aware of it, but deny it. But I hope we can, you know, come together and have these conversations where, and we can recognize that, these things do happen, of course, you know, with our line of research, uh, we've been doing it for a while, you know, and we're going to continue to put out papers and work and also HBR articles. Uh, Jenny's done quite a few of those uh, uh, in her line of work, too, to showcase uh, these things. Uh, we need to spotlight um, some of the uh, focus on Asian and Asian Americans as well, too. Thanks for the shout out, Duck. Uh, it's actually just two articles, but thanks. I think what you two has uh, mentioned earlier that definitely made me also thinking like this concept of like the perception that Asians do not speak up or Asians shouldn't speak up because you're you are expected to like be quiet, be submissive, being like obedient to the others. As a community, do we speak up enough? And on the other hand, is does the company actually provide the space for Asians to speak up about their issues? Right. So, I, I think it's like definitely like multi-layered, and both coming from the internal, but also coming from the external. Like whether we are actually creating that space allowing the Asians to speak up and whether the Asians do speak up for themselves. To answer that question, I've just based on my own experience and what I've seen, you know, when I, when I look at DEI panels or DEI programs, the, I think the answer to that is no, in a lot of cases, because when they talk about DEI, usually they don't even include Asians or when they talk about systemic racism, they don't include us. Um, and so that feels really mm. kind of isolating to me. So I've gone to several panels, DEI panels, where they talk about, oh, we're going to talk about DEI issues in the workplace. 
and yet they don't they don't include us or when they do include us they lump us with white people and that feels really really kind of colorblind to me and and i don't want to use the word insensitive what's the word that i'm looking for just oh, deaf. afterthought <laughs> Yeah, we're just an afterthought. And I just feel like those those conversations where they don't include us are tone deaf. So when I do go to a DEI panel and they're talking about, well, you know, Asians are overrepresented at the entry level, but they have the worst leadership outcomes out of any group. So when someone mentions that, I'm like, oh my goodness, this person gets it. Thank you for including us in your conversation. Thank you for including us as a group that is, you know, a minority group. So I usually just like, this is a horrible thing to say, but if I am at a DEI panel and the person, people on the panel are just talking about Asians and how they're so, how they're like white or we're white adjacent or we don't need to be included, I just kind of tune out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm totally with Jenny on this because I feel like sometimes um, we're left out. Asians are left out of the race conversation. And I think uh, uh, that. I feel where I feel that we've brought in as an afterthought sometimes because they're like, oh, what about Asians? And, you know, they may have realized or, this other group. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, from my, one of my old workplaces, I, you know, I uh, brought in, we had a segment on just uh, talking about the burning of uh, Black Wall Street, so Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I also tied that into the burning of Chinatowns back in the late 1800s. Uh, uh, and there were multiple uh, times that they actually did that. But it's it's really frustrating to kind of see that these are the things that are repeating over and over. And sometimes I think we get um, maybe get uh, sidetracked or lost because of all these tragedies. But we real uh, but in looking at the history, we realize that it's happening just over and over. You know, because they may feel like we're doing too well or whatnot. And when tragedy strikes, they're like, well, you know, I don't know what their rationale may be, but it's frustrating to, 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 to think or to know that we are not brought in uh, to these conversations at DEI, at some DEI events. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. to both of you on this that um, my company actually running out like a lot of like a diversity programs for underrepresented groups there as Asian women like usually I will be targeted more so on like the woman side less so on the Asian side and this year is the first time that I receiving an invitation to a program that target like Asian or AAPI specifically. And when I look at the roster, it seems like this is the cohort two, meaning this is the second time they're running it. So after all those years, first of all, I'm glad that the company started to creating something that targeted for this population. But second is like, after all those diversity programs have been running in the history, and this is only the second cohort that they're having, I felt like there's still a long way to go. You said one more thing. Like sometimes like there's just this, for me, like there's this frustration because helplessness, if that makes any sense. I think we may have, I, I may have touched upon this in probably one of my first episodes, uh, the first episode when we were talking about scholarships. It's just like, 
well, you're not the right minority, right? And, and when you get told that time over time, or you're not part of this DEI discussion or this race discussion, there's a part of you that makes, uh, that wonders, well, am I really supposed to be part of this? When they say inclusion, does that really mean me? Uh, for me, when I hear DEI and all these ERG groups, does that really does that really mean me? Is that just a group of folks just coming together to band just to hang out, or are they actually going to do something? I, I don't know, and I know it's going to take a lot of time and effort to figure that out. So there is a learned helplessness with this. Like I don't know what type of like Jenny, like you said, what type of panel is this going to be? Am I going to tune in or tune out based on what they say? And I guess there's a part of me that is kind of jaded and want to say, you know, if it, I may have to tune out because they may not include me, but I need to have talking points mm -hmm. to say, hey, we've experienced a lot of similar stuff too, and we're in the middle uh, of all this. There's actually a little something from Asia Society that's there's a film screening of, I think, Blurring the Lines that talks about the, the experience of Asian Americans down in Georgia in like the 1960s and all that. And that's actually uh, going to be showing, uh, I think, because it's AAPI, that's going to be one of the movies that's going to be screened at uh, Asia Society this uh, on the 23rd this month. Okay, you're going to go? Yeah, I got my ticket today. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so I can learn more about it because like that was not part of my uh, learning and upbringing. And I'm trying to, for myself, like I may not get this in the workplace, right? So I'm reaching out, I'm finding things and finding resources on my own. And I feel like that's what I have to do. Uh, I won't get ever, I feel like I won't ever get that at workplace. I'd have to do it on my own, uh, if that makes any sense. And hence the participation, but the low expectation Here's a controversial idea, kind of responding to what you just said. Well, I think COVID nineteen and the 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 after effects of you know the anti Asian hate crimes. Now, I'm just looking at this statistic right now. Anti Asian hate crime increased by three hundred thirty nine percent, and this was in 2021 compared to the year before, with New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and other cities surpassing the record numbers in 2020. And I'm wondering if as horrible as this was, and you know, I think we're still seeing the after effects of COVID-19 and the anti-Asian sentiment, as horrible as that was, I think it was necessary for people to really see, oh, Asians are also minorities in this country. Asians also experienced racism. We are not white. And it took a pandemic for people to really see that. Part of it is like, the society has to wait for a certain moment for this to be become like a big of an issue so they can start to take this seriously. It occurs to me like all those stereotypes that people have studied for Asians have not changed that much. Like people have studied this in the 90s, people have studied this in the early 20s, and they all point to this like same stereotypes, but COVID-19 or like anti-Asian hate start to open up those conversations, mm -hmm. but to how much degree that actually we can make people aware that this is something that they still need to like working on. And I, I thought that was a quite interesting one, especially with like all those hate crimes against Asians. I wonder how much is also because 
when the COVID hit, when the when the all those like the society has like needed to find some like scapegoat, like Asians will be the one because the image translated into a threat. It seems like the society is waiting for certain things to become like a big issue so they can start to address that instead of like addressing that through like a day to day. Jenny, I'm, I'm with you in that uh, with the frustration that it took this this crazy amount of percentage increase in hate crimes. And I think that the one that for me that stood out the most was just the, I think in um, 2021 was the elders, elders being attacked. It's very frustrating because I, I see my mom in that. And I, but I think, you know, of course, I, I, I think the world, my mom, I think she's a lot tougher than that. But to see video of older women and men just being beaten for no reason out in the street, out of the blue, it's very frustrating. And it's so sad that it took this long or it took this level of violence towards, uh, you know, a group of people who wouldn't, do anything to you, you know, if anything slow you down on the sidewalk, you know. I hope that through this, it creates something that could be sustainable because I feel like sometimes organizations can just want to have that positive PR or do something that is in place and really is ephemeral because they want to look good in the moment. That would be, you know, I hope they continue to do this, continue to talk about this, because I feel like the moment we take our foot up uh, of this, it's going to come back and cycle through, may not be years later, it could be decades later, you know, um, and we're going to be at, probably having the same or similar conversations in a few decades, and that would be really frustrating uh, for me. Amen, Doug. I, I hope that our research um, is not replicable 10, 15, 20 years down the line, because if it is, if it is, we have not made any progress. You know, I know, you, you know they talk about the replication crisis and social psychology or just the social science in general. But I'm like, I welcome that. I'm like, hopefully our studies, our research on microaggressions are not replicated, you know, 10, 15 down, years down the line. And people are not experiencing the same type of yeah microaggressions that we talked about, you know, 10 years ago, but I have a feeling that our, we are still going to be relevant and these topics are still going to be relevant and it is going to replicate. We're going to, we're going to talk about it or we're going to, we're going to spotlight it and we're going to tell organizations why it's bad to, if these microaggressions are manifesting. If you have folks being, uh, there's subscription of subservience, diligence or math competencies, we got to take a step back and talk about these things and how they're not necessarily always positive. Do you too want to hear um, what ChatGPT says? Theme is uh, to write the haiku for the support for Asians. Come back ways uh, amidst hate and fear. Solidarity we show. Love for all Asians. I think that's a nice way to end the episode. So thank you again for tuning in to Hidden in Plain Sight. We'll catch you on our next episode.